Thanks for listening to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. Our prayer is that today's message will challenge and inspire you to pursue Jesus and to love people to life. Man, I want to get right into the message this morning. The Maasai people. Man, we're ministering to people in Kenya, Tanzania, and we're believing for a third country in 2001. God told us five countries in Africa, and we are on our way. Trust in God. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17. I can say this. I am in Africa at least 18 Sundays throughout the year, uh, 120 days uh, out of the year, and I'm another 25 or 30 days all across the country preaching, raising money, doing missions conference, and I can say this without a shadow of a doubt, there's not even a close second, your pastor uh, is the greatest friend to missionaries that I have ever seen, period, bar none. And uh, what you guys do, you need to understand this, and you don't get out like I get out, but for you guys to give almost $400,000 so far this year, I think $360, $70 for the size of your church is absolutely unheard of. That is a miracle from God. Amen. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. The title of my message is Marked by God. Marked by God. How many here are marked by God? Amen. How many want to put a mark on somebody for Jesus? This morning, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul is speaking. And he's ending this um, letter. And he's usually at this point, he's basically writing and, and he's just basically just saying, hey, say hello to so-and-so, thanks so-and-so, we'll try to see you at this time. He's ending his letter like any of us would in an email, just kind of a thank you, hope to see you soon, God bless you kind of a thing. But the second to the last verse, he just throws something in. And, I just, and we know that the, whole, the Holy Spirit moves as they push their pens to write these letters to to the Galatians, the Corinthians, and the other churches. And all of a sudden, he pauses for a moment, and he makes what I think is one of the most incredible statements in the New Testament. He says this, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Man, I don't know what was going on. I don't know if he leaned back and he felt the scars on his back when he was beaten three times 40 lashes i don't know if he thought about the times that he was shipwrecked one time shipwrecked on an island lived the shipwreck he's on the island everybody's warming their hands at the fire and all the snake a sudden a snake comes out and bites him it's a poisonous snake it's like in africa every snake is poisonous every snake is poisonous and if you, I'm so far out in the bush, if you get by, by a snake, you just go ahead and sit down because you're about to meet Jesus. Is there ain't a thing that you can do? And everybody was waiting for him to die. Have you ever been there? They're waiting for you to mess up. They're waiting for you to die. They're, they're waiting for you to uh, have some situation or circumstance in your life that will bring you down. Maybe he was thinking of all these things and he stopped for a moment and he said, wait a minute. Let no man give me trouble. Let no devil in hell give me trouble anymore. Trouble in here. Trouble out here. For I have been marked with God. The word marked means having identifying mark on you. If I were to ask you, what does your mark look? If I was to ask somebody else, 
What does your mark look? I can walk through these halls, and I did this morning. I can see the mark that you have placed in the back on missionaries. I know the mark that you have placed on us in a region in Africa where lives are touched. I was telling Pastor, the greatest dedication service we ever had was the second church we built for you guys. People were coming down at the altar, and the power of God was moving, and they were weeping at the altar. And we just don't see that all the time. And men, men were weeping, and, and you just don't see these warriors uh, weeping. These are guys that have killed lions with knives and spears. These are, these are real thugs. And they were weeping and crying, and we were having prophetic words are being spoken, and people were walking up, and they tapped me on the shore and said, this guy wants to get saved. And when people get saved there, children will get saved, and it means sometimes they won't even be able to sleep in their home because of that. You have put a mark on the area and a region in Africa, how do we make that happen? How do we have that significant mark of Jesus on our lives? The first thing is this. We must bloom where we are planted. Acts 17, 26 says this. From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed time in history and the boundaries of their lands. God has marked something out for you. I hear it all the time, especially when I was a pastor. People would come and they said, oh, pastor, if you would just pray, I would get this job. This is the job. This is the thing I've always wanted to do. This is the perfect situation. All these people are putting their resumes. If I get this, it'll be a miracle. Oh, pastor, if you could just pray, if you could just pray. And then they get the job and they're all excited. Two months later, it's now a prayer request. Oh, this job, I don't know why God put me here. It's horrible. I don't know what I'm going to do. If you could just pray me out or pray these people to change. And we have to learn in a place, no matter where we're at and what the situation is, God, you want me to bloom in this situation. You want me to do something. My wife, she is called to preschool. And she worked in an area where uh, kids were, in her class, every one of the kids, their parents had either been taken away or incarcerated. And those kids would look at her with tears in her eyes and say, will you be my mommy? Will you come home with me? And that is her mark that she wants to leave on those kids' lives. What is your mark? What does God want to do where you are right here and right now? We're always looking at the grass being greener on the other side. How about, you know, sometimes it is. But how about make your grass greener? We're always looking for the next thing instead of allowing God to use us where we're at. We're always looking over our shoulder or looking ahead when the miracle is right in front of us. A lot of times, the reasons that we can't bloom where we're planted is because we have possibly been hurt, we've been disappointed, etc. It was like, man, I'm not going there, I'm not doing that, I'm not going to fill that ministry position because I was hurt last time. And you begin to live out of that mark. You begin to live out of the mark of hurt. And you've heard the phrase, hurt people hurt. You begin to live out of a life of disappointment because you've had disappointment. We've had disappointment in my life. Our third child we buried. I saw my, uh, I found my brother in a, in, a, in a hotel room, 51 years old, died of alcoholism. He was on the bed. We've had hurt. We've had pain. We've all had. And if we're not careful, we just are waiting for the next pain to happen. We're waiting for the next situation to happen and said, no, God, I want to bloom where I planted it. How can I make this tragedy, make this situation better for me and everybody else around me? 
When was the first time you were disappointed or you just simply jaded by God? Man, when we went out into the bush, we didn't know what we were going to do. We started with two pastors and 20 people under each church. We started with 60 people. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go. It's like, God, you just got to show me what you wanted me to do. When we first started this ministry, we thought we were going to go to Swaziland. That fell through. I remember sitting down with people, pastors, saying, man, I want you to support our ministry. We're going to plant and build churches. Where are you going to plant them? I don't know yet. This fell through and that fell through. And they were like, well, call us when you figure it out. And I'm like, man, I'm not stopping. I'm not moving. We're going to bloom where I'm planted. God, you're going to show me the place. And we finally found this place in Africa. And we just began to move and we began to work and we began to see God do incredible things. We had this woman. We started planting and building churches and women there are looked as, they call them the, the donkeys, the workers. They're beaten. There are times there are issues and situations that happen in their life and we're always fighting for them. And, pa and women can uh, pastor, but they just can't get anything. And so we have this woman pastor under our tree, one of our first women pastors under a tree. How many know they, want, they need to leave a mark too? And it came time that she was the next person to build a church. And I told the men, I said, we're going to build her church next. She had the largest number of people I've ever seen underneath a tree. She's doing incredible for God. And they said, no, 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 the men first. I said, no, she's next. And so we're going to build her a church. They objected, and I said, I'm, this is what we're doing. This is a God thing, and I fought for it. And we went out there to meet her at her church, uh, the people and everybody there, and tell her that we were going to build her a church. And we got out there, and it was just pouring down rain. I mean, rain in Africa doesn't go down. It goes sideways. And I mean, it was we barely got there. Matter of fact, we didn't get back. And so we got there, and it was just torrential downpours, and we looked at the tree where she was. She was the only one there. Nobody showed up because of the weather. Matter of fact, they probably didn't think she would show up, but she showed up anyway. And she was just doing this. We could see her. And she's just preaching the zebras and giraffes, and there wasn't nobody there. I mean, there wasn't nobody there. Now, if you walked in and your pastor was here preaching and there wasn't nobody there, you'd kind of go, oh, Gary's losing it. And we got up there and we walked up behind her. It was raining. We got our coats on, our hats, and we're getting through, walking through and we're just sitting behind her and we're listening to her preach. She didn't even know we were there. And I looked at my ministry partner and I said, well, what is she saying? He said, she's preaching on the faithfulness of God. I looked at that and I said, I'm not even saved. I don't even know Jesus. And we built her that church. Matter of fact, it was the largest church building we ever built. And here she is, blooming where she's planted. Doesn't matter the circumstances, doesn't matter the situation, doesn't matter what's going on, doesn't matter if anybody shows up. She's going to keep preaching the faithfulness of God. Why? She can preach the faithfulness of God because she was living the faithfulness of God. She says, I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. I'm going to believe God for miracles. I'm going to believe God for signs and wonders. Sometimes we're defined by the mark of God by whatever is going on in our life or whatever we're going through. And so if we're going through disappointment, God you identify God through that disappointment. In other words, now he's the God of disappointment. 
I didn't get that position, so he's the God that's wrong. He's the God that's late. He's the God that doesn't care. He's the God that doesn't heal. Because my dad didn't heal or my mom didn't get healed. In whatever circumstance you were going through, you define your God instead of defining your God through the Word of God. John the Baptist, he literally watched Jesus baptize the Son of God, lifted him up, and a dove come down from heaven, and he hears God say, this is my Son, whom I am well pleased. He hears it. He sees it. How many know that would change your life forever, wouldn't it? You'd serve that man till you die. John the Baptist is in jail. He talks to the disciples. You go to Jesus and ask him, is he the one? Is he the one? When they go back to Jesus and, and said, John the Baptist wants to know, are you, really, are you really the son of God? He says, tell him the blind eyes are open. The ears are here. People are raised from, tell him it's still happening. What, what took place in John's life that, that here he is going, I just baptized Jesus. I heard God speak audibly to, is he even the son of God? I'll tell you what happened. Jail happened. A circumstances came in, and John allowed that circumcised to define Jesus instead of what he knew was truth. We had a pastor, his name was Pastor Daniel. He's probably one of my favorite pastors that we have. We have hundreds of pastors that we uh, oversee now, and, and we have fellowship. And like I told you, we started with two. One was Pastor Musa, one was Pastor Daniel. Pastor Daniel was the first person that uh, I ever met out there. Matter of fact, we were going out to his place, and we were going to meet him. And we were, this would possibly be the first church that we were going to build. And so we went out there. We didn't even know this is where God had called us. We, we had a Macedonian call. We thought it was Swaziland. Someone said, come to Kenya. We, there's churches that need to be built. There's people out there. We can make it happen. And I said, okay. And I went out there. And so we were still waiting to hear from God. God, is this a place? One of the prayers I was praying said, God, show me the place where I can die. Show me the place, God, where I can be planted and I can bloom for the rest of my life, Lord. And so we got there, and the war, they sang music, and we ate goat and drank Tai Chi tea. And we were sitting there, and he pulls out his Bible. And he pulls out this piece of paper. I still have it. It was old, and it was tattered, and it was all messed up. And it had writing on it. And he began to talk to the interpreter, and he said, 20 years ago, God gave me a vision that a, that a man was going to come and was going to build us a church. God gave me the dimensions. He wrote down the dimensions, the size, right down to the little stage. And he held on. I was in Bible school, and he held on to that thing for 20 years. It had been 20 years, and he had prayed every day for that church building. When he started that church, it was 13 years. He had waited 13 years underneath a tree every Sunday, no matter what, preaching. And he pulled that thing out and said, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. They, can't, they don't have the money to build churches. We have to do that for them. And he, and he shared this with me and he showed it to me. And we had already had the churches designed that we wanted to build. We had the dimensions and everything exactly. If this was going to work, this would be the perfect size. We had done our homework. We had done everything. And he handed me one that he made for me. And he gave it to me. 
And I looked at it, and it was the exact same size and dimensions as the churches that we wanted to build. I knew that God wanted to do it. But let me tell you something. We have had circumstances. We've lost well over a quarter of a million dollars this year. And there's times I've got to go back and say, no, 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 God. You're not the God of my circumstances. You're this God. You're the God that showed me that this is where I was supposed to be. This is where I was supposed to be planted. This is where I was supposed to bloom God. We built him that church. Seven churches have been planted out of that church. Four churches have been built. He's got churches everywhere. That whole community is surrounded around his church. He's added on to his church. He raised the money to do that. All this, that 13 years, 30 people. Now he's got hundreds and hundreds, actually thousands. Why? Because he says, I'm not going to let, I've been here 13 years. I've been praying for this 20 years. I'm not going to let it get to me. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep believing until God does something. The second thing is this. You must throw off every other mark. Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What mark do you need to throw off? Man, for me sometimes, man, I can't tell you how many times I've thrown off the mark of lack this year. God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to make this thing happen. We've lost monthly support, and, and, and yet God has provided. And three weeks ago, I'm like, God, I don't, have, I don't think we're going to have money for a single church next year. We had 21 service canceled. People quit giving. People who said they were going to do And we were going in 2020, three record years in a row. We were going down 220 with every church paid for. Any other church that had been paid for had been gravy. And we come into this season, I'm like, I don't know how to, three weeks ago, I'm like, Lord, I, I don't, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to, and I'm throwing off the mark of disappointment. I'm throwing off the mark. The Bible says those things that acknowledge themselves up against God, we got to throw those things out. We got to remove those things, those things we have to think on, whatever pure, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent, whatever is trustworthy. Those are the things that we must think on. Always, 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 and whatever mark it is, even if it's your besetting sin in your life, you've got to throw those marks off so the mark of God can shine through you. We've had those marks. You don't have what it takes. I wish you were more like your brother. Wish you were more like your sister. Wish you could do what so-and-so can do. You weren't as good as the last guy we hired. We hear this over and over when we were just little kids. And constantly, the enemy is trying to put marks on you. I had a lady, I preached this message. She came down the front. She was trembling, 70 years old. And she mentioned me to come, and I came up to her, and I said, what do you want? She said, will you pray for me? I've got this mark of divorce on my life. And I thought, okay, what's it been, a year, two years? She goes, it's been 26 years. She's shaking. She's crying. I just want the shame off of me. And I said, man, it's gone. And I prayed for her, and I thought to myself, how could someone carry something for so long? She felt every time, she said, every time I come to church, I feel like people just look that this is the divorced woman. Most of them didn't even know she was divorced. So if we're not careful, we're carrying this mark that, that, that we, people are like, don't even know. 
And you're carrying this mark, and this mark is keeping you from doing what it is that God has called you to do. I can't tell you how many people are, uh, nine out of every ten people that start in ministry ten years later quit. Somebody said something, somebody did something, some issue or situation happened, and they just quit, Pastor. They just gave up, and they don't want to go back no more. Their wife was hurt. Man, we've been hurt so many times in ministry, but we're still in ministry because the mark of God is so much bigger than any other mark that the enemy could try to place on me. When I got to Africa, we built three churches, and this horrible thing happened. He said, well, you built three churches. This is great. We did. We built three churches. God told us to do it backwards. We started building churches first. And the churches are our greatest form of evangelism because we go out underneath a tree. There's nothing but mud, cow dung huts. And all of a sudden, a building is put there. And people see the building and they see God. And that church will be 20 people, 25 people, 30 at the max for 20 years. As soon as we build a building, it will grow. It will quadruple in size in a year to 18 months. Because people see the building, they see God, they come and they give their lives to Jesus Christ. And so we built these buildings and things were growing and we were coming. And they started calling me the rich Mazunga. Mazunga means white guy. <laughs> that part's true. The rich part's not true. And I go, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the rich Mazunga. You're the builder. You're the builder. You're the safari builder. That means people will go on safari. They're the rich people, and, and I'm building buildings. And, and that's not me. We're about people. It's always been about the people. We build the buildings because of the people. When we have church out in the tree, we have elephant watchers. There's times we build churches every seven kilometers simply because people can't go down in the valley because the children will be stomped by the elephants. It's not the zoo. And so we build these churches for these people because we love the people. And I said, listen, man, God has brought me here. No, no, you build me a church, build me a church. They grab me, they grab my arm, build me a church, build me a church. And they just saw me, some rich guy that was a bunch of money that could build churches. And I remember going back to the place where I was staying and I cried out to God. I said, God, I need them to see me as a man of God, someone who has been marked, who has been sent to this place to see many, many people's lives change. I said, well, this is what they have to see. But there was not anything I said or did that would change their mind. And so this one time, I was the three, third time I came back to Africa, and I went through, and there was this drought. When there's a drought, everything dies, and cows were dead on the side of the road, um, and goats were dead. It was horrible. It was terrible. Dusty, dirty, and I met these nine pastors. We had nine pastors in our fellowship. And they all came, and they sat down, and, and we talked. I shared what I was going to do that um, trip. And I stopped for a moment, and I said, hey, what is going on? I've got animals are dead. What is happening? And he said, there's been a drought. There has been no rain anywhere in the valley, everywhere, as far as the eye can see in that whole region, None. It's dry, animals are dying, and actually Maasai die. When the animals die, the Maasai die. And he says, we've had no rain, and there's no rain in sight, and, and we're dying, we're hurting. This is the worst it's ever been. And I said, we're going to pray. And we grabbed hands, and we began to pray, and I made a statement that came out of my mouth, and it was God, but I didn't, after I said it, I wondered. And I grabbed, I said, God, tomorrow, make it rain. Tomorrow, God, make it rain. And they all went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got done. I was walking back to where I was staying, and I thought, God, 
if you ever answer a prayer, <laughs> you don't have to answer another one. If you would just please, why did I say that? I was second-guessing myself. But the power of God was there, and I just said it. And so, man, I'm like, we got like 24 hours for it to rain, and it has not rained in forever. And I wake up the next day, and they're going to come see me that afternoon. And I'm there, and I'm just going, man, actually the next day. And I'm just like going, man, God, God, I walked outside. I'm looking for clouds. <laughs> no clouds. And about midnight that next night, it began to rain. And it rained for 36 hours straight. They came into the church we were at. All nine of them jumping and shouting, soaking wet. It rained 36 hours straight. Flash floods. It rained. There was, we couldn't even get to certain places because it rained so bad. I had one missionary friend with me. He goes, man, next time you ask God to rain, could you have him do it over a few days? I'm like, sure. Hey, whatever you want, I can do it. And then they came in, and this is what they were yelling. The man of God. The man of God is here. The man of God. See, I could not manufacture that. I could not create that mark. God had to create that mark. But once God created that mark, we never went back. I was going to churches underneath a tree, and people were coming, walking at midnight to come because they heard the man of God had prayed, and the rains had come. I'm telling you, when you begin to pray and you begin to trust God and you begin to ask him for the mark, the mark he has placed on you, the place he has called you to, and you begin to pray and you begin to believe and you step out in boldness. You step out in boldness. I've had people look at me going, dude, you're getting carried away. I go, I serve God. If I was serving me, I wouldn't get carried away because I can't do it. But if I'm, I'm getting carried away with Jesus, it'll happen. The third thing is, God has got this. Psalms 105, 15 says this, Don't touch my anointed. Do them no harm. They are mine and I bear the mark. If you touch them, you are touching me. And I know this is about kings, but how many know you are sons and daughters of the king? And how many know that uh, this was for the king and the king was saying this? But how many know that your kids are more important than you are? And God says, don't touch my marked people. That's the attitude God has about you. No, 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 that he's mine. When the enemy comes, say, no, 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 he's mine. He's been marked. And it breaks the heart of God when we allow some other kind of mark to get on us. In the, in the New Testament, Mark chapter 6, the disciples are at sea and it began to rain and storm and rock the boat and they began to freak out. And this is what the Bible says. They considered not the miracle. They considered not the miracle. They didn't even consider it. It wasn't even a thought to them that maybe God wanted to do a miracle. Maybe God wanted to show up in your circumstance, in your situation, in your tough times and say, I want to do a miracle here. I want to bring blessing here. I want to bring healing into this situation and circumstance. And whatever it is that you are going through, whatever that situation, God is saying, allow me to do a miracle. Pray for a miracle. The definition of consider is think carefully about something or someone typically before you make a decision 
I always think of the miracle before I make a decision. Well, what would God do? How would God handle it? What kind of miracle does he want to do? Now we'll make a decision on that. Not on this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm going to make a decision on that. No, 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 no. God's going to do this. God has got this. Man, I remember there we had built churches and we still didn't even have a place to stay. I said, God, I can't do Bible college. I can't do anything if I don't have a place to stay. I have no place to stay. And so I began to pray. God wanted to do something powerful and awesome. But, but I, I narrowed it down. I broke it up in little pieces. You know, because God can't handle your prayer. So we got to break it up into little pieces. So I'm just like, God, just give me a little piece of land somewhere, God. I'll build a little teeny house, God. I know you're busy and it might be too much for you. And I know you can't handle any big prayers, God. And I know you can't handle a big vision, God. And I know you can't handle that stuff. So I'm going to break it down in little pieces so you can do this, God. And what you do is you create it in such a way that when you look back, you did it, not God. And so we decided, man, and that's what I was praying, and I'm ashamed to say, but that's what I was praying. And the government saw what we were doing, and they came to me, and they said, we want to tell you how much we appreciate what you're doing is. We want to tell you that we're so grateful that you're building churches. You know, of all the churches that we have built, I've never paid for land, not once. The government will come in, the community comes in, and they give us the land. And we've made a partnership together, so I will build a building, and they give the land. Not once have I paid for that. And so they came to me and said, we want to show you something. I said, okay. They took me to this place called Majimoto. There's a hot springs bubbling up out of it. It's gorgeous. And back in the 1950s, the German missionaries came and with all this money and built this area. They had to get there by plane, little prop plane. And they built this whole area up. And then he got sick and they left. They had more money than common sense. He got sick, they left, and it was abandoned. And the community owned it, and nobody was doing anything with it. And they walked up, and they showed me this. It, it was just 10 block buildings. At the time, 11 acres. They ended up giving me six more. And they, and they looked at all this, and they said, we want to give this to you. I said, you want to give it to me? He said, yeah, we want to give it to you. I mean, like, it's mine, all of this. He goes, yeah, there were houses. There was a clinic. We've got a Jason school of a thousand kids. We've got a clinic that people come from miles around. We just put a maternity warrant on there so people can have their babies there. All this was given to me. Then I started fixing it all up, and I got it all fixed up. I thought, they're going to come back and take it away. Well, two years later, they lifted all the deeds on all the property. They do this every once in a while, and they move all the Maasai around because they want to have conservative areas for the animals. Animals are more important. So they lifted the deed on our place. It was owned by the, the government. When they lifted the deed, they said, what do you want to name it? I said, I want to name it after the church. I want the church to own it. And they do this like every 40 years. And so they literally put the thing in our name. God did that. God's got this. I'm praying for this little teeny piece of land. And God's got, I got 18 acres and 10 buildings for you. I got kids that are going to come, award-winning school, eight years in a row, in everything, in soccer, in academics, in everything. Go Rays. Oh, by the way, I'll tell Tom Brady you guys said hello. Too soon? Job 37, 14 says this. Listen to this. Job, stop and consider God's wonders. Psalm 77 says this. I will consider all your works and meditate 
on all of your mighty deeds. Hebrews 12 says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and well-doing. I remember the miracles. I hold that piece of paper up that that Daniel, Pastor Daniel gave me, and I say, God, if you did this, God, you want to do so many other things. We want to build a church every five days. I thought that was crazy. People said that's never going to happen. And we started with three churches a year, now one is happening every 12 days out in the bush. The fourth thing is this. You need to leave a mark. What is your mark? What are you leaving? I know what Tower Hill is leaving. I can see it on the wall back there. I can see you. I can see what's happening and going on. You're leaving a mark for God. What is your mark? I'm going to be honest, I've left some, some good marks, Pastor. I've left some bad marks. I've had to apologize to my kids. I've had to change. I've had to live a certain way. I'm going to be open, I'm going to be honest with you. Even as a Christian, I've struggled with alcoholism. And I have to battle it every day. I'm, uh, it's okay if I'm honest. It's okay. You've got something to battle. It's not that. And you're probably going, gee. Yeah. And I've been free. And I've done it. And the enemy wants to put that mark on me, but I won't let him. I was telling Pastor my testimony. We flied, we, and it was the 80s. We were flying drugs in from Columbia and other places and selling them here. And the enemy wants to keep putting that on my life, but I won't let him. I won't let him because I have a mark to leave. I've got a mark in Africa to leave. I have a mark to leave on my marriage, 32 years. Never used the word divorce in my home. I know it happens. I've got children. One is in ministry. Two, uh, one is, runs a business, and the other one is going to medical school, and the other one wants to be a lawyer, pro bono. I'm like, somebody's got to take care of me. You got to get, you get rich first and do the pro bono thing. I'd appreciate that. <laughs> Second Thessalonians says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is a distinguishing mark on all my letters. They knew as he began to write, this is Paul. What do they say when they see you? Oh, this is the guy who's leaving this mark. This is the church that's doing this. This is the family that's doing this. These are the kids that are doing it. I tell my kids, you need to live a mark. I don't care if you make $20,000 a year or uh, $2 million a year. I'll take the $2 million because you'll help me. <laughs> but I want you to leave a mark. I want you to leave a mark on this world, a good mark. Well, the, one of the worst funerals you can ever do is a guy that left bad marks. When they stand up for me, I, I, want, I want it to be a three-hour service. They're just nothing but things that I've laid a mark on, the good ones. You guys have left a mark. Four churches will be done, hopefully by January. And you want to do more next year. We were in this area, and I, was, and I closed with this. What time is it? Oh, boy, i got to finish. I'm in this area, and, and I, we dedicated church that Sunday. I'm spending the night, Sunday um, night. And I had one of the most incredible demonic attacks ever. And I don't 
have that. I don't talk about it. I've done funerals in the mess. I've had witch doctors dance before me, throw shoes at me, spit on me. I just shake it off and I keep moving because we've been in 40 different countries and we've seen, I've seen it all. And I just didn't pay much attention to it. But that time I actually thought I was dying. I thought I was having a stroke. I didn't know what was going on. And fear just gripped up inside of me and, and I, I couldn't sleep. And every time I closed my eyes, it was like one of those... Um, kaleidoscopes it would just go and I'd have to open my eyes and I'm like I'm rebuking the enemy and I'm just fighting and fighting and I've never had anything this oppressive happen to me and all my years of it it was the worst I can't express how bad it was I called my wife who's a prayer warrior and I said please call people pray for me I didn't tell her I thought I was going to die I didn't want to scare her <laughs> Uh, and I hung up. I never, I couldn't sleep. Five o'clock that morning, I'm getting ready, and, and the sun is coming up, and roosters are crowing, and I'm like, man, this is, this is horrifying. And she had texted me and said, well, I've got all these people praying for you. You're going to make it. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give in. The enemy's not, enemy's not going to win. And so we got up, and we went and bought the materials for the second church we were going to build, and I was sitting down with my ministry partner. He says, listen, I want to tell you something. We're going to an area. I said, okay, what is it? And he said, we're going to this area that is mixing the God of Africa and Christianity together. And the pastors are, are doing all these crazy things, but, but with the Bible. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, they literally take the Bible and they kill these animals and they take the bones and they put them on the Bible and they are praying to the God of Africa and they were prophesying over the people that would come. I'm like, yeah, that's wrong. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm thinking to myself, we're going there tomorrow. I go, maybe this is what I was going through. So when I get home, I text my wife. I said, man, you won't believe it, but this is where we're going. She called me immediately, and she said, hey, did you read uh, what Matt, this friend of mine, we, we, we are, are accountability partners, and we pray together. He said, did you read the dream he had? I said, no. And so after she had told everybody to pray, he went to sleep that night, and God gave him a dream. So I go on Facebook and the messenger and I begin to read it and it said this. He said, I had a dream about you last night and here it is. It was a short dream. He said, these people were in a circle and they were all had colors, beautiful colors on. And he said, there was two angels that were above. And he said, there was a guy in the middle and he said, he had a Bible on the ground. He said, it looked like he was throwing dice. He says, but as it moved in closer in the dream, he said, I saw that it was uh, bones. He was putting on the Bible. And they were, they were prophesying to the people when they put bones on the Bible. He said, then the angels came in and broke it up. And everybody began to worship God. And I'm like, man, whoo, are you kidding me? I go, and so I'm like, man, uh, you know, God had all this planned. And the enemy didn't want me to go there. The enemy wanted me to pray. The enemy didn't want me to make it through the night. And I've had a few of those. But God was designing and setting this whole thing up. And we went up to this area in this mountain, and these people were driven. They had a civil war a couple hundred years ago with the Maasai people. These people were driven up in the mountains where they were uh, 200 years ago, and they literally created a uh, village there. And years and years and years ago, Christians came by in dump trucks. That's the only way you could get up there. And they presented the gospel, and a few people got saved, and then they left. There was no discipleship. There was nothing after that for dozens and dozens of years. So they didn't know what to do. And that's how this whole thing was created. They literally mixed it all together. 
And so when I got there that day, and I was going to meet with two pastors underneath the tree, and I met with the first one, and a lady texted me, and she says, I've been praying for you. Denise told me what you were going through. And she goes, I'm praying Isaiah chapter 61 over that whole region. I said, okay, let's believe that. I read that, that chapter, man. I said, all right, God, that's what we're going to believe in this area. Isaiah chapter 61. And I get there, and the pastor gets up. He stands up uh, underneath the tree, and he said, God gave me a chapter to read for this missionary. And it's Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm like, yes! God wants to let, God loves these people more than I do. God loves you. God wants you not only to have his mark shine through, but he wants you to leave a mark. God wanted me to leave a mark on these people. The enemy, the voodoo, the witch doctors, they're trying to leave a mark. And I got there in that second church. I told them what God had done. They were jumping and shouting, and we got in a circle, just like in the dream. And I said, the enemy is trying to do this, and we're going to break it. And I put all the children in the middle, and I prophesied over them. And I said, these children will not know what you guys have known as the children. I had 36 pastors there that had come out of that voodoo and were ready to see that place change for God. And I was driving away. God spoke to me and said, I want you to build 100 churches. I want you to plant and build 100 churches on this property, and I will rectify this whole situation. Come on. And last year when pastor said, man, I'd like to build 100 churches, that kind of resonated with me. And I said, God, let's let Tower Hill. And this is a mountain. It's literally a hill. They call it Maasai Hill. I'm going to claim it for God. And I believe Tower Hill can begin to take that region for Jesus Christ and we can build churches um, the next two churches we're going to build right there. The two churches that I told you about, Tower Hill, you're going to build them on that mountain. And we're going to make that change. We're going to make it happen. Amen. Stand to your feet. I feel like I'm always apologizing for going late. I just got so many fun stories, man. And I just hope they build your faith because if God wants to do it for a little Maasai lady out in the middle of nowhere, God wants to do it for you. Amen? God wants to change your life. Bow, heads bowed and eyes closed. You're in this place. You've got a mark on your life that you want God to remove. I'm not going to patty cake you. I'm not going to cheerlead you. You either want that mark off or you don't. It's in between you and God. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. It could be hatred. It could be some mark someone to put on you as a childhood and you think about it every day. God doesn't want that in your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, lift up your hand right now. I'm going to pray for you. Yeah. Amen. 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 Yes, yes, lift them up. Okay, now lift both hands to Jesus. You're just going to surrender that thing to him. You're going to let it go. God is going to supernaturally do it. He's going to supernaturally do it. Father, right now in Jesus' name, Father, remove those marks. Yes. They're not your marks. Yes. And I ask them to be removed in Jesus' name. Unforgiveness, healing, bitterness, whatever it is, God, it goes right now in Jesus' name. And I don't care who reminds you of that mark. God never reminds you of that mark. He reminds you of his mark. Let your mark, God, shine through in their lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise.